Akin, if you can find um, Galatians 5, 1 to 16 for me, that would be quite helpful. Thank you. Okay, so the American president, Franklin D. Roosevelt, said, freedom cannot be bestowed. Freedom cannot be bestowed. It must be achieved. And thank you. And he was thinking about the American Civil War and the fight to end slavery in the United States. And today, we had a minute's silence to think about and to honour those who lost their lives or were wounded fighting for their country, fighting for freedom. And in both those examples, freedom was achieved by human effort. But as Christians, we don't have to fight for our freedom because Jesus has already achieved that freedom for us and given it to us. So we already have our freedom. But the question is, do we live free? Do we live free and are we willing to fight to maintain that freedom, both individually and together as his body? I was going to say put Galatians 5 up, but he's ahead of me there. So there we go. So fundamentally, Galatians 5 is about living in the freedom that Christ achieved for us and resisting anything else. And Paul sums it up in the very first verse. I'm reading in the ESV, so it might look slightly different to up there. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. But freedom isn't always easy to maintain, is it? So, for example, I know that I am fully accepted by God. So why is it that sometimes I compare myself to other people? And I think, oh, Mark Henley's preaching on Galatians 1 tonight. I hope mine's as good as his. I would recommend you hear him, Mark. Actually, I don't think it's this week. I think it's next week. I think it's encounter, it's encounter evening. So don't go, well, go tonight and enjoy the encounter evening, Karen, over there. But, um, but go and hear Mark, I think, next week, because he's going to be really good on that. So why do I do that? You know, I know that I'm saved by grace. So why is it that sometimes I kind of put a few little rules in there, things that I think I've got to do, otherwise I'm going to disappoint God or he's going to be upset with me. And then I get condemned because somehow I haven't quite managed to do that. Why do I still do that when it was for freedom that Christ set me free? We may have had grace bestowed upon us, to take um, Roosevelt's words again. But see, we also have an enemy. We have an enemy who has lost the war. But he still hopes to win a few battles along the way. He loves to get in our face, doesn't he? He loves to get in our face, whether that's through circumstances, through things other people say to us, or whether it's through our own unhelpful mindsets and ways of thinking. You see, the enemy wants his slaves back. And God says, you're not going to have them because I've already won. I've already won freedom. But he can give us a hard time. And Paul says, stand firm then. Stand firm in your determination to live in freedom. Stand firm because the reward of standing firm is a life lived in freedom. It's a life of freedom. Freedom from fear, freedom from anxiety, freedom from self-hatred. You wouldn't believe how many Christians I meet when I'm sitting in a sozo room who hate themselves. 
God made us. God loves us. God delights in us. God knows who we are. And he still likes us. He still likes you. Why would we hate ourselves? We're meant to live free from condemnation. There is no condemnation now for those who are in Christ. We're very good at condemning ourselves, sometimes condemning others. We're meant to live free from the power of sin, free from addictions, freedom from a continual need to perform. Some of you will know that one. And it's not just freedom from something. When we live a life of freedom, then we're free to be ourselves. You're free to be you. Free to be the person God made you to be, knowing that you're loved. You're free to be a son or daughter of the king. Free to live and move in the power and authority that you have as a son or daughter of the king. And you're free to know that grace really is enough. Nothing else, nothing else is needed. Now, when Mark preached on Galatians 1 at the beginning of this series, he gave us an equation. I don't know if you were here and you heard that, but the equation he gave us started like this. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. And that's it, isn't it? Only through grace are we saved. Jesus and nothing else. Only through grace do we become sons and daughters instead of slaves. Jesus and nothing else. Only through grace do we live in freedom. And it's Jesus, nothing else. Verses um, 2 and 3 in Galatians 5, Paul says this. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he's obliged to keep the whole law. And the second part of Mark's equation was this. Jesus plus something equals nothing. And that's what Paul's saying here. As soon as you add anything to grace, you lose your freedom. And that something is religious rule keeping because the battle for freedom is the battle against legalism. If we battle for freedom, we need to battle against legalism. Problem is, as soon as we start requiring that one religious rule is kept, then we have to keep the whole lot. But we know that the good news of Jesus Christ is not about religious rule keeping. It won't bring freedom. In fact, it takes us back into, into slavery. Romans 3.20 says this, it says, Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. The law was there, the law is there to point out our sin to us, so that we can never be deceived that we can relate to God based on our own performance. Because we can't. So what happens when we go back to religious rule keeping is that that we just become more and more conscious of our sin and that brings condemnation and guilt. And then we try to deal with it by adding in a few more rules. And that's sort of how the Pharisees got where they were. And ended up having to keep as many rules as they did. And it doesn't work, does it? And just an example of that, when, um, when I first became a Christian... Um, I was completely unchurched. I didn't come from a Christian family, and I really didn't know what you were supposed to do when you became a Christian. But I was very grateful to God for saving me. So I thought I should do something. And uh, I love reading, always have. And so I was reading my Bible, and I came across the fruits of the Spirit. And they, they looked to me like, well, that's kind of how I'm meant to live. And so I got a big piece of paper, and I wrote down the fruits of the Spirit, 
And I wrote down the, week, the days of the week. I put it up on my wall. And then at the end of the day, I would get ready to tick the ones that I'd managed in that day. Guess how that worked out for me? Yeah, you're right. I didn't do very well. Fortunately, somebody a bit wiser than me kind of explained that wasn't quite how we were meant to do things. But I just became aware of my own sin and my ability not to keep the law. Because the thing about the law is it's a test you can't pass. The law says you've already failed. But God says, because of Jesus and what he achieved for us, you've passed the test. I see you as righteous. So the law is there to point out our sin to us. See, legalism says you must be in church on Sunday morning. Legalism says you must worship. Legalism says you must tithe. Legalism says you must love God. But grace says you get to. Grace says you get to come to church and be a part of his family. Grace says you get to love him and worship him and experience his presence. You get to be generous and giving. The freedom that Jesus won for us means that we get the opportunity to lead a godly, loving, contented, powerful and free life. And folks, it is an amazing privilege. That is the advantage that we have as Christians. I want to just comment very quickly on verse 4, because of something somebody said to me. Verse 4 says this, You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. Now, some people have taken that to mean that you can lose your salvation. Um, I don't believe that. I believe that once you're saved, truly saved, you are always saved. Um, for a start, if, the, if you could lose your salvation, that would contradict other things that Paul says. And I'm not going to go through all of them, but I just want to read one of them out to you. Ephesians 1, 13 to 14 says this. In him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. So when you're saved, you're saved. You have a guarantee. You have the Holy Spirit within you. So if you can't lose your salvation, what does it mean to fall from grace? Well, when I was preaching on Galatians 1 at the beginning of this series, I talked about the blessings and the benefits of grace. The blessings and the benefits of grace. Things like peace, joy, knowing we're loved for who we are, power and authority as his children. Those kind of things are benefits of, um, of grace. But when we go back to rules and regulations, then we lose those benefits. We don't live in that place of joy and peace, knowing that we're loved for who we are. And as Christians, we have this huge advantage. Christ is our advantage. Because of who he is and what he did, we're not bound by law. We are a free people. Why would we go back to rules and regulations? Legalism steals that very freedom that we are meant to live in. It steals the peace and the power and the joy. And it delivers guilt and shame instead. 
So falling from grace means that we stop living and operating in the benefits that grace brings. Galatians 5.5, Paul says this, he says, For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. Because we are designed to live through the Spirit, by faith, eagerly waiting for the hope of righteousness. So does that mean that our salvation isn't certain? Is it only a hope of righteousness? No, because the Bible tells us as Christians, our hope is steadfast and certain. It's not a vague hope. It's not the kind of hope the world has. We know where our hope is. Our hope is steadfast and certain because our righteousness is found in Christ. So if keeping religious rules counts for nothing, well, what does count for something? For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. Now, I've just said that you can't do anything to earn your salvation. So what does it mean when it says faith working through love? That, that sounds a bit like works, doesn't it? But actually, the Bible tells us that faith without works is dead. And that's because our faith is meant to have outcomes. And those outcomes should be seen in the way we live. Our faith should affect the way we live. And so my faith in God and my understanding of grace and freedom means I don't need to compete with others. I don't need to hold on to things because of a fear of lack. I don't need to take offence. I'm free to be generous. I'm free to love. I can be quick to forgive and I can promote other people over me. Because God first loved us, we get to love others. Now, the next few verses are really a warning not to let even a small amount of legalism in. Paul describes it as leaven, and leaven is just another word for yeast that causes bread to rise. Now, any of you that do any bread making will know that you don't need very much yeast for bread to rise. I know this because my husband, a few years ago, took up bread making, and he loves to make sourdough bread. And so in our fridge, there's a little pot, or quite a big pot, and its name is Trevor. I have no idea why its name is Trevor, but it's called Trevor. And in that pot, there's a starter that he uses every time he wants to make sourdough bread. I always know when he's making sourdough bread because I walk into the house and I can see the flowery footprints down the hall. He's not here this morning, which is just as well. And so Trevor needs feeding. You, you keep starters for a very long time. You can have a starter that's 30 years old in your fridge. I'm kind of hoping our Trevor doesn't last quite that long. But anyway, so you have to feed it ever so often with some flour and, and water. He gets Trevor out and he adds a bit of flour and he adds a bit of water. Now you'll be thinking he needs to add a bit of yeast. No. What he does, he takes his finger, he stirs the flour and the water, and there is enough natural yeast on your fingers to keep that starter alive. And when he's fed Trevor, I know Trevor's alive because he bubbles away furiously in the fridge. We made the mistake um, of inviting some of our friends over to lunch. Um, and, uh, you know, all of you probably know Mike Vaughan, and he's a GP. Do not tell your friend who is a GP how you make sourdough bread just after he's eaten it. 
I don't think he's ever going to have bread at our house again. Anyway, but you don't need very much yeast to make bread rise. And Paul says, if you allow even a small amount of legalism to infiltrate your life or your community, then you run the risk of losing your freedom and becoming slaves once again. And so Paul is very tough on legalists. Um, you can read the words up there. I'm going to put what Paul says into my, my words, okay? This is what Paul says about legalists. I wish they wouldn't just drone on about circumcision, but go the whole hog and cut the lot off. <laughs> or words to that effect. I mean, that sounds pretty harsh, doesn't it? Paul was harsh on legalists because Paul had such a passion for God's people that they would live in the freedom that Christ won for them. That they would live in freedom. And that's a challenge, isn't it? That's a challenge for us. How passionate are we for God's people? And how willing am I to guard my heart and pursue greater freedom and to protect the freedom of my church family? And how much do I want to see that freedom that we have here out there? In businesses, in schools, in local government. That's where I want to see that freedom. But if I want to see the freedom out there, I've got to learn to live in the freedom in here. And all of us, you know, have areas in our lives where we're still not completely free. But that's not who we are. God has called us to be and has made us a free people. Verses 13 to 15 say this, For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you're not consumed by one another. So we're called to freedom, but it doesn't mean we're called to license. It's not an opportunity for us to be selfish or self-centered. And it is possible for us to abuse the freedom that we have. As I said earlier, I am free to be generous, to love, to be quick to forgive and to promote others. And so here's a challenge for you. And I'm asking myself this question as well. As you enjoy the freedom in Christ that you have, do you continually look for opportunities to love others? Will you look for opportunities to bless others and be generous? And how far would you go to love your neighbor as yourself? Now, Dave Carter recently put me onto a website, which I have to say I love. Um, so pay attention to this one. It's called goodnewsnetwork.org. Goodnewsnetwork.org. And it calls itself the number one source for good news. And if, like me, you are totally fed up with hearing everything about Brexit and the terrible things that are going to happen if we leave and the terrible things that are going to happen if we remain, then you, you're going to love this site because it is all good news. And I just want to read you a story from it. Laurie Wood who is an ICU nurse at Piedmont Union Hospital in Georgia, first met Jonathan Pinkard, a 27-year-old man with autism, after she was assigned to his care back in December 2018. Pinkard was in desperate need of a heart transplant, 
But since his grandmother passed away several years earlier and his mother was in rehab, he was ineligible for the transplant list. And that's because with thousands of people waiting on transplant lists every year, doctors require organ donors, uh, organ recipients, to have stable support systems so that patients are guaranteed to have someone take care of them after an operation. So for four months, Pinkard was in and out of the hospital without hope of receiving a heart. Not only that, he was often discharged to a men's shelter because he had nowhere else to go. Thankfully, his luck changed after he met Wood. Pinkard and Wood quickly bonded over their love of football and family feud, which I'm assuming is an American program. And as the 57-year-old nurse became more and more familiar with her patient's circumstances, she knew she had to help him. Two days after meeting Pinkard, Wood offered to adopt him. Two days after meeting Pinkard, she offered to adopt him and become his legal guardian so he could be placed on the transplant list. Needless to say, he accepted Pinkard underwent a successful heart transplant back in August. Wood, who Pinkard affectionately calls Mama, has been monitoring the young man's various medications and caring for him after his operation. She's even been teaching him different life skills so he might one day live more independently. When Piedmont Healthcare asked Wood about her decision to adopt Pinkard, she simply said, When you're a nurse and you're wanting to fix and help people, it can sometimes be very frustrating. At some point, God places people in situations in your life and you have the choice to do something about it. And I guess for this situation, there was no choice. It really wasn't anything I struggled about. He had to come home with me. That's someone that knows how to love. And I was challenged by that because I thought in all the freedom that God has given me, how much of that freedom am I willing to use to really love my neighbour? and to look for opportunities to bless. I don't know about you, but I know I'm not completely there yet. When we truly live in the freedom for which Christ set us free, then we walk by the Spirit, continually living in his presence, pursuing him with our whole heart, loving him above everything else, committed to his people, and demonstrating his fruit and his power to those around us. I'm going to read that again because this is what a free people looks like. Walking by the Spirit, continually living in his presence, pursuing him with our whole heart, loving him above everything else, committed to his people and demonstrating his fruit and his power to those around us. And I, although I know that there are areas in my life where I need more freedom, I'm willing to commit to God this morning that actually... I'm going to pursue him and gain more of the freedom that he has for me. Because none of this is to make us feel condemned. God does not condemn us. He loves us and he's good. But he longs for us to get hold of the freedom for which Christ set us free and start sprinkling that freedom all around, whether it's to people in here or to people outside in the world. When, I, um, when I'm you know, in the Sozo room or I've got people come to see me, often it's because there are areas in their life where they're not free and they don't feel free. And it may be that you this morning have got areas in your life that you don't feel free in either. And they can be things that feel like big things. I have people come and talk to me and they have addictions, you know, whether it's alcohol or porn or whatever. There are addictions in their lives. 
Um, food, that's another one. And sometimes people come from it to me and actually it's because they're struggling with something like anxiety. It's a constant battle with anxiety or fear. And maybe you experience those kind of things. Or maybe it's, it's not that at all. It's that you know that you're quick to get angry. Or when someone offends you, you don't deal with it very well. Or maybe the way you behave at home with your family doesn't look like the way you behave when you're in church. You know there are areas in your life where you want more of his freedom. And so I'm going to invite you, if you want more freedom in your life, to just stand with me this morning. See, one of the things that we sometimes do when we need more freedom in an area is we kind of almost write ourselves a list of rules to try and overcome it. And so it's like, right, um, I need to overcome that. Okay, I'm going to fast every third Thursday. I'm going to get up at six o'clock every morning and to do two hours of the Lord. You know that kind of thing? And you, or you say, Lord, I'm never going to do that again. And then you kind of do it again. And actually what we need to learn is that that's another form of legalism. What God says is, I'm the only one that has the answer to this. You need to come and surrender to me. And let me start to tell you the person that you are, the person that doesn't need to live in those places where freedom is lacking, that I have enough freedom for every area in your life. And so that's what we're going to ask him today. Father God, thank you that you are a God of freedom. Thank you that you do not require us to obey rules, but through Christ, we are completely loved and accepted Father God, thank you that your heart is that we walk and live in the freedom that you have given us. And so, Father, this morning, we want to lay down those areas where we know we lack freedom. We want to surrender them to you. Father God, in our humanity, we don't have any answers, but you are the answer. Your son died so that we could be free. Father, we declare this morning that we are going to be a people who live in the freedom for which Christ set us free. We are going to be a people who extend that freedom to others. Father God, would you speak now to every heart? Holy Spirit, would you come to every heart? And where those areas are, where there is a lack of freedom, would you start to minister right now? Father God, would you deal with any condemnation? Father God, would you bring your peace? Father God, would you bring hope back where hope has gone? And encouragement. Father, would you touch every heart with your love this morning and with your power? Father God, we are a people of power. We are a free people. We are a people who know that you are God and that you have every answer. Nothing is impossible for you. Yeah. And all the people said, Amen. Thank you.